All right, let's pray. We'll get started. Father, again, we praise your great name for making us as you have. Uh, male and female, creating marriage, having this as uh, a picture or reflection of Christ and the church and even the Trinity itself. Lord, uh, thank you for the, the beauty, the holiness, the meaning. Um, and we thank you, Lord, that in some way, in that final day, all of us, married, unmarried, doesn't matter, will enter into a union with you and each other that can't even be described accurately. It, it soars beyond our imagination. Uh, marriage will close the books on marriage because it's not capable of the beauty and union that we'll enter into <clears throat> and the communication that we'll have with each other and the, uh, the fellow feeling, the um, cooperation, the entrance into each other's lives uh, will be beyond anything we could have ever known. And Lord, when we think of, uh, as even my wife and I can't imagine not being married, and uh, we joke about having houses at least close, uh, we thank you that all of that won't matter at all. And uh, Lord, indeed, you've got uh, something on the horizon that will astonish us forever and delight us forever and fulfill and enrich and satisfy us forever. So we thank you, Lord, that in all of our relationships, there's some taste of heaven to come in a party when we get together and we laugh and cry and share stories. There's something of that which is to come. For we know that you yourself have lived in that love eternally. Uh, You've had a joy uh, that is infinite as you've given yourself within the Trinity in this uh, boundless love and happiness. And as Jesus says in John 17, we in some way enter into that uh, eternal dance, uh, that eternal joy, uh, for we are loved with the same love with which the Father loves the Son. How can that be, Lord, that The circle widens, not that we enter into divinity at all, but we enter into the love. We enter into the fellowship in some way. Thank you that all of our friendships and that marriage itself, all of these things are some kind of taste of who you are and some kind of taste of what we will be in that final day. So may this also, Lord, give us hope. Even when things fail, even when things are so difficult, to realize even as we read through the Old Testament sometimes we think, good night, there's so many terrible things that go on, so much brokenness, but it just prepares for that perfection of Jesus Christ. And the brokenness of this world can even prepare us and cause us all the more to hope in that day when there will be no more brokenness and no loneliness, no hurt, either given or taken. Uh, but we enter into eternal joy of fellowship with one another and with our God. So, Lord, we would uh, study this morning in that context, in that hope, the hope of the resurrection uh, that Jesus died for. He suffered 
so that we would enter into that resurrected life in the new heavens and the new earth. O Lord, praise your great name that you would come and gain that for us who had turned our backs on true fellowship, the fellowship of God himself, and yet you reclaimed us at such a great cost. We praise you. And uh, Lord, teach us in your compassion and mercy. For Jesus' sake, amen. Um, One of my favorite professors uh, was Dr. McClellan. And uh, Reg McClellan, he taught philosophy. He had his Ph.D. from Georgia, but he was going through to getting a theological degree. uh, And he also taught philosophy. But he, he would go over somebody like Kant or Hegel, and he would... Uh, repeat things again and again and again until you hardly had to study at the end. You just knew it. It's just such a, a great teacher. I also loved his sense of humor. He he walked up to I won't say who the uh, professor was, but he was in the practical department, and he would wear, for instance, one of his that I will never forget was a, a burgundy leisure suit, the burgundy shirt, and a burgundy tie. <laughs> Is beautiful. You just can't imagine it. And he actually walked up to this professor one day and said, you do realize, don't you, that leisure shoots cause cancer? <laughs> uh, but <laughs> he's what, he was a, a good dresser, so that was his problem. But um, So I, I want to, uh, us to turn to 1 Corinthians 6 once more. I hope you'll never forget 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and following. <clears throat> I want to point out just a couple of more things. We, we talked about, of course, how this passage underscores the reality of the body being uh, the object of God's salvation. So these people were downplaying the body. Uh, they were saying it doesn't really matter what you do with your body because body doesn't matter. It's only what the Spirit does. It's only what the Spirit is engaged in. Uh, and so the fact that the body, for, for women in marriage, it translated to we are already heavenly creatures. It's beneath us to have sex with our husbands. Okay, That would be one translation. I'm too spiritual. This is not obviously a spiritual thing. This isn't going to get me closer to God. This is such a physical act uh, laced with things that obviously aren't holy, really. Um, I'm just going to meditate more and more and more. That's one translation. The other translation is men saying, uh, doesn't matter if I join myself to a prostitute. It's just a body. You know, whatever you do with your body. Just what's going on in your heart, and you're already there in heaven. This body's going to be sloughed off sooner or later. So what does it matter what you do with it, right? It's just a piece of trash. It's just a, a hollow shell, and the real you goes on, so uh, it doesn't matter. So that's the context. So uh, he he says there in verse 13, as, I've, as we've read, that the Lord is for the body, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. There's its real goal, its purpose. 
never from the beginning of the first creation was it meant for sexual immorality. That is, that sex would be outside the commitment for life. Uh, but it's, it belongs to the Lord. And the Lord then, uh, in this kind of enigmatic uh, statement, is for the body. So, uh, you'd say, uh, here's, here are the Greeks, body plus or minus, okay? The Greeks would say, big minus, right? God, body, plus or minus, big plus, right? That's the, that's the big difference. Greeks, we don't like it. We can't wait to get out of it. We're going to get rid of it one day. We're going to be up here. God says, no, I come, I die on the cross to reclaim that body, right? That's the, the, rec, the reclaiming and all the talk about death is because the body counts, right? Why bother otherwise? No, the body counts so much. I die in your place so that your body will be recovered, We tend to think only about sin, but sin had to be paid for in order that death could be reversed, as Lewis would put it, would run backwards. um, And so we would have our bodies forever is to rescue us from uh, sin and death. Uh, Again, I remind you of uh, Romans 8, where he says, we await our adoption which he calls the redemption of our body. Pretty shocking. Your redemption is not complete. It's not fully manifested. It hasn't gotten to where it meant to be. Your adoption, your sonship, your daughtership. Sonship, of course, includes both because the son, we're we're like, uh, have all the privileges of sonship in that day. So that's a, that's an honor, ladies. I'm not leaving you out. We're including you in that, right? So, uh, but the redemption uh, of your body is the completion of your adoption. That shows how critical uh, God looked at this the, the body. So, notice verse 14. Uh, he raised the Lord. He will raise us up. Um, do you not know your member, your bodies are members? So, it's not just your spirit is a member. Your body is a member. And so... Our, uh, our confession, I know some of you have seen this little illustration, but at death, so our spirit goes to be with God, our body goes in the grave, and we say, this is good or bad? Bad, bad yes, let's pray. <laughs> um, so spirit here, then uh, coming of Christ, and here the classic text is First Thess four thirteen. <laughs> Somebody come up here and write for me. First uh, Corinthians four thirteen through eighteen. You know where he asks uh, the the question is, what about those who've died already? I know if Jesus comes, we'll be changed. But you know, so and so died, or he got ate by the lions, or he was burned up. What's going to happen to him? He can't get that body back. And Paul says, nothing to worry about. Uh, when he comes, he'll bring the spirits uh, of those who are asleep with him, okay? 
And there's an order, right? You've heard me say this before. Those who lost their bodies get theirs first, then we are changed. Good order, right? If you lost your body, you should be first in line. And that's what happens. Um, and, and so these bodies are restored, and then you enter into the new heavens and the new earth. But uh, he, he, the, they come to have their bodies restored. Our bodies are transformed. If you read the language carefully in Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see also that twofold uh, aspect that's embedded in 1 Corinthians 15, that great chapter on, at, at the end there. So uh, what, all this to say our confession says uh, the bodies continue to be united to Christ until uh, you think, well, that's not possible in some cases, right? Because the body isn't even there. But they're talking about the fact that whatever constitutes your body and whatever will reconstitute your body, it is not lost on God. Okay? It is united to Christ. It, it must and will be resurrected because it is united to Christ. That's how important that is in our theology. <clears throat> uh, because... You are, uh, they, would, they would always tell us in uh, seminary, and every theologian will underscore this, you don't have a body, you are a body. Never forget that. I have a body. Well, you have a spirit in that sense. You are a body. You are spirit. And he, you're not redeemed unless uh, your body is redeemed. That's the whole point of Christ taking on a body uh, and entering into our death and and then being raised. So, members, and therefore, of course, if if my members, the parts of my body, are uh, belong to Christ, then think of any part of my body and notice. In <laughs> this gets graphic. What if I join my body to a prostitute? What part of my body is joined to a prostitute? He says that's Christ's member. It's not yours. It's Christ. Christ is a part of you. Well, I take notice the members of Christ and make them the members of a prostitute. So you think, you just think, wow, <laughs> he cares about every part of my body and he notices it. It's important and he owns it. He doesn't reject it. He owns it. He has me in every part of my humanity. And then, of course, the uh, shocking statement that he would quote Genesis 2 when he says, you're joined to a prostitute, you become one with her. Uh, then he quotes Genesis 2 to show this is what uh, sexual union does. It brings about a union between two people. Um, and I want to underscore the fact that though uh, a lot of us in this room have, uh, as believers or maybe unbelievers, uh, had this happen by God's grace, there's forgiveness, there's rescue, there's renewal, there's transformation. Uh, and even in the, the scars or the difficulties that arise uh, in your marriage, these are things that also drive you more and more to Christ, to depend upon Him, to seek Him, to know Him more, to know more of His salvation. So even in these ways, God, He really causes 
all things to work together for good, right? So even those things, by His grace, will continue to work together for good in, in causing us to trust Him and to be more and more helpless and humble before Him. Then he says, uh, uh, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin is a, per, uh, a person commits. And I've, I didn't mention this the last time, but I think it's important. You know, one of the uh, things they've come to understand about 1 Corinthians is Paul embeds quotes from the Corinthians themselves throughout uh, this letter. Uh, for instance, um, Verse chapter 7, verse 1, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Used to would take that as a statement by Paul and maybe even be stating that, hey, a man should never, should never touch a woman who's not married to him. But that's not the context. See, it's marriage that's the context. And so here's the quote from those on the other side. It's really good for a man and a woman not to have sexual relations once they become believers because then they're, they're more holy, you know, and they're, they're, uh, they're staying out of something that's so physical uh, and not spiritual. Well, another uh, verse, though it's not uh, shown in this translation, it is in some, uh, that... Every sin a person commits is outside the body is a quote from these uh, Corinthian spiritualists. And one, one hint toward that is the word other is not found in the original. But translators stick it in there to make it make sense if it's a statement of Paul. Well, <clears throat> the original simply is this. Every sin a person commits is outside the body. We see, you see how it fits with their thinking. Everything, uh, they're, they're saying <clears throat> sin is what you do with your mind. It doesn't matter what you do with your body, see. Sin is, is if you think something, if your spirit is, is at, not at peace or your spirit's not thinking about God, whatever. But as long as that's going, it's just outside the body and the body doesn't matter. <clears throat> and so Paul comes right back and says, uh, a sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So it's not a statement saying every sin you commit is outside the body because you think that's not really true, you know, that sexual sin is the only one that has to do with the body. Uh, most sins have to do with the body, actually. But that just shows there's another uh, way in which they were teaching that sin is what has nothing to do with the body itself. And then he <clears throat> closes it all by saying that your body, not just your spirit, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then you were bought with a price in that context is you, your body is bought with a, a price and then glorify God in your body. And as several commentators point out, when he says glorify God in your body, in this context, it's the sexual use of your body. Okay. It is a general statement. It applies across the board, but don't lose the context. Glorify body, glorify God with the way you use your body in sexual relations. And so uh, one writer of a, a book on the meaning of sex points to this to say, here's the ultimate purpose of sexuality, glorifying God, bringing honor and glory to God with your body. 
And that's a wonderful thing to think about, uh, whether unmarried, married, uh, to think this is the purpose of my body. It's not ultimately my purpose. It's the purpose to honor and glorify God with it. And it's an amazing thing to think about in sexual relations rather than like the Wittenberg door. I don't know how many people have ever seen the Wittenberg door, but it's a satire. It's like Mad Magazine for Christians, kind of like the Babylon Bee, if you've uh, read that. Um, recently, Babylon Bee had a, uh, said Calvinist uh, fasts from craft beer for three days. You know, it's just... <laughs> If you understand Calvinist, but anyway. Um, so, uh, in this particular issue, it's a it's an issue on sexuality, and the front cover it has two uh, a couple under the covers, you know, rolling around in bed, and it has a picture of Jesus with a blindfold on, right? Just kind of people's understanding that God's like, okay, go ahead if you have to. You know, I'll get with you after you get out of the bedroom, right? We'll, we'll resume our relationship when you get out of there. Uh, rather than, as you see in uh, Song of Solomon, where the uh, end of chapter uh, 4, um, the lights go down as she invites him into her garden, which is a picture for her uh, body, and uh, take of its delights. You know, it's beautifully written. Um, and then the, it's as though the lights go down after he says, uh, drink deeply, O lovers, right, to have each other. And there's this sense of the favor and smile of, uh, of God. So there's an amazing thing to think you're glorifying God in the use of your body in, the, in relationship. Isn't that amazing? And you're glorifying God when... In, in terms of, as we read in uh, chapter 7, you think, my body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to my husband. He has authority. And my body doesn't belong to me. She has authority over my body. That glorifies God that you have that view of your body. This belongs to him for his pleasure, his joy. This belongs to her for her pleasure, her joy. And that's the way I serve him. That's the way I serve her. This glorifies God. It, it, that's why uh, I think that uh, we that that there are pleasure seekers in this world, and not to say that common grace doesn't bring people to tremendous uh, joy, even in communion. Uh, in their marriages, but if you cut out God from that equation, you really hadn't found pleasure. If you eat a peach and you're not able to honor God and glorify God, then you're cut off from the main part of the pleasure of the peach. The main part is that honor and worship and amazement that you thought of Taste buds and flavors that hit the taste buds and this this happy moment that I would have when I eat this perfect Georgia peach and you smile upon it, God. And he does the same thing, right? Uh, so, 1 Corinthians 6, you cannot uh, talk about it enough because it's such a key passage. 
Uh, and of course, <laughs> when I taught, when I preached on this, the uh, infamous sermon on Easter, I was talking about resurrection primarily, but all people heard about was prostitution, uh, actually. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, you see, you can't talk about one thing without the other. Isn't that interesting? You can't, you can't talk about resurrection without talking about, you know what, if you're going to talk about resurrection, of course, he, uh, he's coming the other way for, with it, but all these connections... Do you know, because we're going to be resurrected, you shouldn't be having sex in the back seat? What? You, know, you wouldn't first get that connection. But uh, Paul makes that connection. So we have no more time. Um, now, I'd like to talk a little bit more about this, uh, the idea as we've talked about Genesis 2. And... Uh, he talks about one flesh, and of course, that is our uh, important word, just as important as one, okay? And then uh, the word naked. And so we've talked about this as a physical union. And we'll talk about this again. Women need to move this way, men. This is in general. I've had circumstances where uh, a woman would like to have more uh, contact, physical union uh, with her husband, and uh, he's not into it. And so I always get a group of guys, and we take him out and beat him up, you know, because <laughs> we're so mad, you know, that... <laughs> Well, your wife wants more, and you don't. Wait, okay, we're going to go beat you up right now. Uh, we're going to heal that problem. Yeah. We, we didn't. No, yeah. Because we didn't record last week. Will you just briefly explain that for the? Oh yeah, for the listening audience. Um, yeah. So uh, the tendency, uh, he, you see, Gnosticism infects us all. Okay, or kind of Greek thinking of separating spirit and body. So uh, men tend to prostitute their wives because they want this, but they don't want this. Therefore, he, he really can come in at night. Uh, I mean, the classic picture in the 50s, you know, he reads his paper, he watches TV, he sees her in her nightgown on the way to bed, and he wants to have sex. You know, like, who are you? You know, we hadn't talked. You hadn't asked about my day. You don't even want to hear anything about me. And yet now you really want me. You re- want me? You see the obvious question. You want me? The me that you're embracing right now? You just forgot me. You don't want me. You hate me. You despise me. You won't even talk to me. You won't share your heart with me. You won't share your feelings with me. But you want my body? What? You know, so that's where men need to go is to say, hey, you are body and spirit. And this body is saying something. It's saying in the very act itself that I will enter into your life, into your dreams and your passions and your 
pain and your struggles and I will know you. Classic text is 1 Peter 3, 7, where he says, it says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Literally, it means know your wives, know them, know what makes them tick. And then it even underscores this, know them uh, as the weaker (laughs) vessel. That means, of course, uh, a greater sensitivity to relationship. A woman has a greater sensitivity to relationship generally than men do. Uh, a greater, uh, uh, more sensitive emotions. That, uh, that a need for tenderness and, and a, awareness. And, uh, so, to take this model that we are bare with each other, we are, uh, have removed our clothes, so we are vulnerable I'm vulnerable with everything about my life. I accept everything about you. The very thing that it says, it's the, it's the language, it's the clothing of vulnerability and transparency. See, the very act itself says what we're going to be and do with each other. And then entrance itself, and you just think about this on the part of the male it goes down to the microscopic level of he pursues her, right? That's where life is born. New life occurs because he pursues and finds her and enters into her and new life is born. What a picture of our pursuit of our wives. So that's what this is. But then there's a way women can then prostitute their husbands by saying, oh, I'm all about talking, you know, all about sharing, all about, oh, honey, we had a great time tonight. We don't need this, right? This is, this is superfluous. We did the most important thing. We talked, you know, it sounds, and it can even sound holy, just like those women. You can just imagine them in first Corinthians seven, you know, oh, honey, Let's think about something so higher than grunting and screaming and yelling. I mean, it sells, right? You're right. I mean, gosh, sitting there and thinking about God versus this animal-like thing, there's no comparison. And then when you, as a husband, want to broach the subject, then you don't want an unwilling partner. And then, you know, the rolling of the eyes, boy, that really does it, right? When she rolls her eyes or say, oh, it's all you think about, you know. Well, just like I, I tell men, <clears throat> you're, you've been given this communicator, all right? She tends to want to communicate more than you. You and I have to understand, wait a minute, that's not to be an irritant. To me, no, her, in her sinfulness, sometimes it really is irritating, okay, because women are not perfect. That's what I've heard. I don't know, but um, so, uh, but in her communication, you've got to see that as a gift to you. Why would God do that for you? I'm going to, I'm just really going to blast you one, bud. I'm giving you somebody that wants to communicate. Oh, no, you know. I just want to watch TV. I want to watch the game. Whatever. So we've got to be open to the fact that she's a communicator and she loves that. And maybe you need it. Maybe. I bet you. 
I bet your, your life would be enriched and you would become more of a human being as you open yourself up to your wife. Like you said you would, right? Like you said you would. So we, we're closed down. And, and of course, men are the ones that don't cry because we learn we can't cry. We don't cry. We're not vulnerable. You know, we're cool. We're, we're full of ourselves, etc. Um, but on the other hand, you see, Women have to be open to the fact that maybe his desire for sex would open me up to things that are beautiful and I don't realize it. See how that works both ways? So that she's moving, she's taking beauty into here and he's taking beauty out. As I say, that's a general thing, but it's been amazing how much I've seen that pattern. And in both of these things, we are pulling the spirit and the body apart instead of we're a whole person. So I love what uh, Vern Sattler says about uh, sexual union. He says, because we are uh, a whole person in sexual union, I'm putting my whole self within you. And she's saying, I take your whole self within me. See how important that is? So, women, if you like, and of course the problem is, many times, is there's not much out here to warrant this. And so, he's not taught, and you can see how the downward spiral occurs. So, he won't talk, she doesn't want to do this, she doesn't want to do this, he doesn't want to talk. And of course, I think... Men are the initiators. I think that's the very act itself is one of initiation. We've got to take the lead. You know, we've got to, men have to recreate this so that women feel safe and loved and cared for and so that this begins to mean something and not just be a lie. And then when this occurs, then... uh, you'll see this spiral start going up instead of down. The hardest, hardest thing in the world. Let me read something to you from, this is from a a secular uh, source. And, uh, and really, really secular. So, (laughs) I'm just, and I don't mean that in a bad way, I just mean this guy has nothing to do with with Christ. But this is interesting as a, as a common grace insight, <clears throat> he's written a book called Passionate Marriage. And he says, um, marriage is a natural people growing process and the inevitable sexual boredom, lack of passion and communication difficulties are the drive wheels and grindstones of adult development. So he's saying that development doesn't just happen out here, but it happens in here. And that's one of the things I want to stress. That the same issues you face out here show themselves here. And the same processes by which you have to learn each other and serve each other uh, change your marriage relationship. So he says, relationships are shaped by more than unresolved childhood issues, past wounds, and family of origin problems. Certainly those are issues. 
Even when these are non-existent, marriage becomes contentious because the growth processes in emotionally committed relationships surface in sexual interactions and other intimate exchanges. These are not situational problems to be solved and avoided. Rather, they're dilemmas to go through because they make us grow capable of the intimate sexual relationships and eroticism we seek. Common sexual and relationship difficulties are midpoints in the evolution of healthy relationships rather than signs of personal inadequacy, incompatibility, or falling out of love. So, he says, passionate marriage focuses on lifelong sexual development rather than merely curing sexual dysfunctions or improving sexual relationships, although it does that as well. And here's, here's a classic statement. Most people never reach their sexual potential. And those who do are generally well into their 40s, 50s, and 60s. Sexual potential and cellulite are highly correlated. <laughs> there you go. You don't have to worry about cellulite anymore. <laughs> but you see his point, and, and in this book, uh, it's a very graphic book. I'm not recommending the book, so please don't. But, uh, you know, we have to read those things and report them. Now, uh, <laughs> but um, but he, um, he really, as he says here, he doesn't talk about, he's not worried about touch techniques. And here I will refer to uh, a paper that I, I give uh, in premarital counseling. And although it is about... Uh, learning, it, it, it's all about communication. In fact, I start off with these three things. I say, uh, I think I might have mentioned this the first time we uh, met. Uh, it's a cross between talk radio, Comedy Central, and Discovery Channel. Okay? And in this, I talk about taking an hour to touch each other all the way to the end. All right? But the point is communication and communion in that. You know, listening. What do you like? And, and being completely willing and vulnerable and humble to say, I don't know. I want to learn about you. Just that humility. And then the humility. And it's hard to talk about what you want. That's a communion issue. You see, it's a vulnerability issue. It's a way to be transparent. And believe you me, when you learn to commune like that more and more there, it, it can't help but cause your whole relationship to be different. So we can't isolate it as though it's this thing we do every once in a while, uh, but it's really the, uh, it's the very uh, covenant uh, bond itself. That's where union occurs and its continuance is the continual statement and uh, uh, continual manifestation of the union that we have, the unique one union that we have uh, with each other. Um, And, of course, it's interesting how um, when you get to people's, you know, seven or eight things, and this is just out there, it, it, all, it, it, it has to do with this thing where they'll say, don't save affection for the bedroom only, right? Kiss outside the bedroom. Show affection outside the bedroom. Guys, that's, that's this, right? Kiss her when you come in. Kiss her goodnight. Kiss her when you leave. Just kiss her, you know? 
And don't kiss her. And it's got to be, I've heard girls say, gosh, I would kiss him. I would really love to make out with him at night. But every night, if we can make out, it's got to be all the way. And I saw, this is a secular thing one time. He said, make out with your wife and just let it be that, you know. And those are little things. But they mean so much because she thinks, he just likes me, you know. He likes me. And of course, for her, he may decide this and then she's like, no, bud, we're, we are going, you know, whatever. It's like you, you try to enter into each other's world. Uh, you try to, uh, I would give more examples, but we have other, we have kids here. So let's don't talk about that, all right? <clears throat> but, um, of course, making time for it, talking con- uh, every day, uh, have adventures together, all these kinds of things. But it, it is all about, uh, you know, translating this thing. So uh, let me just talk a paragraph and then we'll close. This is uh, what I wrote on First Peter 3, 7. This is a project, a lifelong project. Entering physically means entering in the whole of life, figuring out, studying so that you can give more wisely, so that you can meet needs more exactly and completely. God has placed before you the gratitude, uh, uh, before you, the complex, fascinating, and majestic landscape of another human being. He means for you to explore that with wonder, joy, and diligence that tenderly cherishes, nourishes, and protects all you discover, and to do that with gratitude. I would suggest to you that physical union claims that for you, demands that for you, calls you to that for the whole of your life. So let's pray. Father, we praise you for all of your design. We praise you for how you've made us, male and female, body and spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you affirm us in the body uh, by taking flesh, by being raised from the dead, And the fact that that is just the first fruits of the final resurrection, that our our adoption really begins in a certain way uh, and is consummated from another way uh, when we when our bodies are are redeemed. Uh, Lord, we pray that this would give us uh, a new joy in who you've made us to be, what you've made us to be. We pray it would give a new resolve for those who are single to uh, the, the happiness of even purity and the purpose of, uh, of sexual engagement and uh, to pray for that possibility of having that with another person. But if not, uh, the joy of even then using their bodies as God's called them to uh, and not in that particular way. Then with the hope of a union that goes way beyond that so that in the end, Lord, none of us misses anything. None of us misses in that final day the more glorious union that soars beyond what marriage could have ever been in this life. And for those of us, Lord, that are married, that we would have a new joy and eagerness to glorify God with our bodies. Uh, to the happiness of our mates, to the so that both within and without the bedroom, Lord, we are dedicated 
to true union, true transparency and vulnerability, uh, true servanthood, uh, a giving and a receiving that honors you. Uh, Lord, we, we praise you that this union is a picture of Christ and the church. And as Paul says in Ephesians, it's really this physical union that is the picture. Lord, we pray you'd forgive us that we kind of think of everything but that as the, as the picture of the union. But uh, that joy, that ecstasy is in some way a call to us to have a spiritual joy and a spiritual ecstasy, a spiritual union with you, Lord, that it's not just an everyday thing. It's that worship is to be uh, awesome. It's it, uh, astonishing, <clears throat> Lord, that, that knowing you uh, is to make us weak uh, spiritually because we see all that you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Uh, Lord, we thank you that something... Uh, so intimate and beautiful uh, between a man and a woman could have such a meaning uh, as to exhibit the very union that Christ has with the church. Bless us, Lord, to use all that you've given us for your glory and honor. Amen. Did I give you that quote from uh, Larry Crabb when he talked about uh, Ephesians 5 and how the physical union is uh, calls us to pleasure you know, a, a spiritual pleasure with God. He said, if you don't seek that from God, that is, if you don't picture and think, Lord, I want this joy and happiness with you. He said, it'd be like a woman going on her honeymoon, reading romantic poetry, but never getting in bed. You know, pretty graphic. But he's saying, that's what it's like if you don't think, wait, I'm to have joy with this God. I'm to have ecstasy spiritually with this God, because here's the picture of it. Amazing. The, the scriptures go kind of beyond what we are comfortable with, but that's it. All right. Sorry. <clears throat> Didn't leave that out. Oh, yeah.